Hello everyone, and welcome to Downsizing, the podcast where we try and figure out when the office actually ended, because everyone would have been fired. My name is Curtis, and I'll be your host, and with me is my co-host and resident office expert, Antoinette. Hi everyone. Today we will be discussing Season 5, Episode 23, Heavy Competition. In this episode, Dwight gives out state secrets, Jim confides in Andy, and Michael goes for the whale. This episode's cold open is kind of boring, but at the same time kind of iconic. Uh, It is the one where at the Michael Scott Paper Company they are running out of things to do, so they have just been throwing cheese puffs from the giant Costco slash Sam's Club sized bucket of cheese puffs just into each other's mouths. That's it. That's 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 the whole that's the whole cold open. Yeah, it's a pretty short one and they make up for that with use of extra time for the main body of the episode, I would say. And so the main focus of the main body of the episode is the developing competition between Dunder Mifflin and the Michael Scott Paper Company. We saw in the last episode that the Michael Scott Paper Company got their first client and so they are kind of getting things going, albeit it does seem slowly because as we saw in the cold open, Pam says that there's only so many cold calls you can make. So they clearly aren't busy renewing orders, filling out orders, things of that nature. So they probably don't have many more clients other than that one that we saw. Right. And there's only so much you can do with one client who literally just placed an order. (laughs) So they are reliant on cold calling, on Michael's contacts. But the thing is that Michael's contacts are Dunder Mifflin clients. In the beginning of the episode, we see that Michael is getting some help from Dwight. Dwight has given him a file for Ed's tires. And it's apparently a small client, but it's something that in Dwight's mind, it seems like they could spare. Dwight and Michael meet uh, out by the dumpsters, like behind the warehouse area for these clandestine visits. And I'm not sure what is compelling Dwight here. So we know that in season two, definitely, and then into season three, Dwight just absolutely worshipped Michael. But it does appear that that worship is sort of lessening, not lessening, but it's, I guess, evolving in a way. And part of that evolution is spurred on by Charles. Yeah, it is. It is a very odd situation with Dwight because he knows that Michael isn't a very good boss, but just because of his personality, he has this kind of an ethos almost of respecting your superiors and loyalty and things like that. But it obviously has limits because Dwight didn't go with Michael to the Michael Scott Paper Company. So Dwight probably, like I said, knows he's a bad boss, doesn't really respect him as the leader, but does respect him as a salesman and 
is just has that loyalty as a friend to him. So this is, I think that's why he is giving him just these little crumbs. But yes, like you said, this kind of distancing does get helped by Charles's influence. At one point in the episode, we see Charles call Dwight into his office and just commends him for the work that he does and respects how focused he is and things like that and wants to give Dwight some more responsibilities around the office. This is literally all Dwight has ever wanted. And if you think back to season three, Dwight could only get the assistant to the regional manager title. He could never get the assistant regional manager title. He doesn't always respect Michael's managing style. And that was influenced a lot by Angela. If you think back to season three in The Coup, where Dwight tried to kind of go over Michael's head to Jan. But no matter who the boss is, Dwight's going to come in and do good work and work his butt off because that's just Dwight's personality. But he can also see the flaws in Michael, and that's a recent development. So if you think back to the stress relief episode and the comedy roast, Dwight tried to defend Michael. Then Michael called him an idiot, and Dwight's like, uh, no, I don't need this, and sort of went off on Michael. So he's... That's where the sort of cracks in what was just a blind follower and blind worshiping started to appear. Dwight kind of gained his own confidence and realized that, yeah, he wants Michael's approval. He wants to be Michael's friend, but Michael is sort of withholding. And so the fact that he's getting this from Charles and getting a lot of respect and Charles says to him, you are you know a top salesman we want to make sure you're happy here and i think dwight is one of those people that dunder mifflin is going to make sure is happy and wants to stick around because he has a lot of clients he's been a top salesman for a long time and for charles he's the type of guy that really respects that he seems similar in that personality and so with this thought of, you know, we want to give you some more responsibility. We want to honor the work that you're doing. That puts Dwight in a tough position that he doesn't really want to help out Michael anymore and give him some leads on clients. And so for Dwight, he has to explain the situation to Michael and tries to do so in coded language, you know, talking about a personal hero and a cool new guy and, and being sort of conflicted. You bring up a good point, and it kind of shows the the different managing styles of Michael being incompetent and Charles being competent, because it is this weird back and forth thing, and it it's slightly, I wouldn't say it's bad writing, but it's just very confusing when you watch these episodes so close together in proximity that there are times where Michael and Dwight are like best friends and Michael really enjoys Dwight's company and things like that. But then there are also times where he hates Dwight and it's usually comes because he is trying to impress the quote cool people of the off the Jims, the Pams, the Ryans, where that's where he kind of distances himself from Dwight. 
Right. In the Golden Ticket episode, Michael's trying to take advantage of Dwight's hero worship of him to get him to take the fall. And that's where you know, good on Dwight a little bit in these more recent seasons and recent episodes for realizing his own worth and not getting taken advantage of by Michael. And it's still hard for him. Just like when he, after talking with Charles, he's so conflicted now because it, it's, it's interesting to me that Dwight would even do this. Like This is a big sign of how much he loves Michael then. Because he's willing to sell out a company that he loves. Think about when he left to save Angela and he said, I thought I was going to die at my desk and now I'm leaving. That's how much he respects Dunder Mifflin and loves his job. But he's selling out that company because of Michael. So there's these two conflicting things going on for him in his mind. But that little like Atchaboy from Charles brings Dunder Mifflin kind of back to the forefront and Dwight just can't do it anymore. Right. And so when you see that, it makes the stark contrast between Michael and Charles all the more evident because we've seen Michael in the past hesitant to fire people because he wants to be friends with everybody. I think that probably also plays out the other way to where he is hesitant to reward people because he doesn't want to make it seem like he's playing favorites. And so everybody just kind of stays on this level playing field. Whereas you see Charles come in, see, and we've known, like you've said before, we've known for a while that Dwight is one of, if not the top salesman in the entire company. And Charles comes in and rewards Dwight for that. And so getting back into the main part of the episode, and you alluded to it earlier, we see Michael calling Dwight to get some pricing info, and Dwight is hesitant to give him that because of this gesture that Charles has made to him. And so Michael kind of needles at Dwight a little bit more and does talk Dwight into meeting him at the usual place, except this time Dwight has brought Charles along. Right. Dwight rewards Charles by basically saying, hey, Michael's been pestering me for company information. And for Charles, this just has to be infuriating to just keep having to deal with Michael, especially being in the same building and having to deal with the fact that this guy left the company, but is still a pain in the butt as far as just being involved. He can't not think about Michael because he's always doing something to keep himself in the Dunder Mifflin orbit. And Charles is actually a lot nicer about this than you would think given one of their last interactions when Michael was trying to like steal people away. And it's just like, just leave him alone. Like leave Dwight alone, go about your own business, get your own clients and let, let us be essentially. Michael is just, very upset and betrayed by Dwight. And this is where the episode starts to drag a little bit for me. The the middle part of the storyline where this war, if you will, between Michael and Dwight is starting up because Michael has a Rolodex of all the Dunder Mifflin clients. And I don't know, it's hard to tell if 
Michael got these clients originally if he maintains a relationship or if he just has this whole Rolodex of just all the Dunder Mifflin's granting clients. It's difficult to say because the client that Michael is trying to go after is Dwight's biggest client and it's Harper Collins Publishing, which if you think like any sort of publishing is going to be a lot of paper and apparently it's sort of a textbook publishing company. So when Dwight gets wind of this, he tries to head this off at the pass. He calls Mr. Schofield, who is the head of the publishing company, to try and solidify Dunder Mifflin's standing with them. Michael, it appears, has already gotten there first, though, because we can tell from Dwight's end of the conversation that they've already been in talks with the Michael Scott Paper Company. And so this is kind of where Dwight decides to start playing a little dirty. He says that he's surprised that Michael is still even in the paper business because of the nervous breakdown that he had. And then he also extends an invitation to Michael and the rest of the Michael Scott Paper Company to go to lunch just to kind of bury the hatchet and to to put this at ease. This is a false flag, however, because when Michael, Ryan, and Pam are at the restaurant waiting for Dwight, Dwight is in the Michael Scott Paper Company office sabotaging everything. So he puts a dead fish in the ceiling panel and he takes everything off of Michael's desk. Most importantly, Michael's Rolodex. Michael's been pretty slow on the uptake as far as what Dwight is talking about, like the coded messaging he wasn't quite getting, and the fact that it was Dwight who's behind the, quote, robbery or the sabotage. Dwight immediately calls, probably he saw them come back to the parking lot and immediately calls Michael and was like, no, that was me. This is sabotage. This is war. You're not going to get these clients. And they're still fighting it out over Harper Collins Publishing. And what ends up happening is somehow because Michael got through first to Mr. Schofield, he has a meeting with Schofield to talk about really the only difference between the companies is probably the pricing that that the Michael Scott Paper Company can offer because they don't really have much overhead yet. So between Michael and Dwight, it's a race. And Michael has Dwight on speakerphone as he's in this meeting with Mr. Schofield. So Dwight races to the HarperCollins publishing offices to, I don't know what he plans to do. And I think that's where this goes off the rails just a little bit. Michael's in this meeting, Dwight barges in, and sort of tries to remind Mr. Schofield of their relationship, which does go seemingly back pretty far. But Michael's a good salesperson. He's saying that, hey, well, what I'm hearing is what Dwight's bringing up is the last time you really evaluated your paper needs. Don't you think you should reevaluate in light of this offer? Mr. Schofield really doesn't want to go through the rigmarole with both of them right there and just says to email me your best offer 
Now, Michael still has tickets to the Wilkes-Barre Penguins minor league hockey game <laughs> that he wants to take this guy to, and it's going to try to woo him as far as that. And one thing I will say that we get from this episode that we've gotten flashes of before is that selling really is Michael's prowess, not managing. And that's the sort of mistake, and we've talked about on this podcast before, that if you're a good salesman, if you're a good worker, you should become a manager. And those are not one-for-one things. And that is definitely the case with Michael. It is not one-for-one that because he was this top salesperson that he should have been the regional manager of the Scranton branch. And this, that's what I was talking about last episode or like when they're bored and throwing cheese puffs at each other. That's the type of stuff, if you can, now some people can do and not teach, you know, whatever that adage is, but Michael should be trying to impart some of these skills or just some lessons to Pam and Ryan as part of him being the founder, manager, president of the Michael Scott Paper Company. Mm -hmm. And so he's really impressing Ryan going through his old Rolodex. He's, you know, he writes down information about these people, their lives, their families as a way to sort of connect. And that's his, that's really his calling card as a salesman. And so everything is already at a head because, as you said, Dwight barges into this meeting that Michael is already in with Mr. Schofield. And so they kind of leave it at this point where Mr. Schofield is like, all right, both of you just email your best proposals and we can go from there. And so Dwight having Michael's Rolodex has brought the card with him and asks Mr. Schofield, hey, how is your gay son? And there is just kind of this pause in the room and Mr. Schofield is like, excuse me? And Michael is seen in the background just kind of slinking out of the office and just eases himself out and closes the door. And Dwight continues on asking about Mr. Schofield's son. And we see in a one-on-one that Michael has color-coded his client info on his Rolodex and that green means go, which means go ahead and shut up about it. Orange means orange, you glad you didn't bring this up. And so he says that most of these things mean don't talk about it. Which is such a Michael thing to do. Right. And so Dwight kind of gets trapped by his own sabotage here. And we see after this, Mr. Schofield and Michael kind of just being very chummy. And so we have to assume that Michael closes the deal. Right. So now that brings the total number of clients for the Michael Scott Paper Company up to two. However, Harper's Collins is probably a pretty big get. It's, I am curious how much paper and how frequently such deliveries would be, but that's probably a pretty big contract. 
Yeah, I feel like in reality, though, in just this messy situation, HarperCollins is probably looking for a new paper provider that isn't Dunder Mifflin or the Michael Scott Paper Company because they both were just ridiculous in this meeting. Exactly. The other storyline we see in this episode is Jim and Pam in the process of planning their wedding, which really kind of gets brushed over this entire season. It's how it they really does. it's how they opened the season and really they don't focus on it ever again. Just kind of here and there uh kind of at their convenience. So especially compared to Pam and Roy's wedding planning, how that was sort of a more prominent storyline. Right, good point. And so they kind of bring it up here just to put in a joke and an opportunity for Jim to play a prank. So Pam and Jim are sitting with Andy and Andy seems to be kind of maybe selling off some of the remnants of his own wedding that he still has, I guess. I guess. And I guess that would come down to decor type stuff because a lot of the packages or services are going to be date dependent. But what we mostly see is him trying to sell Jim and Pam on here comes trouble. Right. And so during this entire thing, he has a piece by here comes trouble playing in the background. And it seems somewhat nice until like this very melodic romantic song goes right into call me al the acapella version of call me al and so that's kind of where he loses pam and pam asks am i really going to be coming down the aisle to this and so the pam kind of puts the kibosh on here comes trouble especially after hearing the pricing info for them, which was $9,000 after room and board, flight, and a merch table in the front. Which is just, that is crazy. That would be a crazy amount. I mean, to be fair, I am sure there are some people for their weddings that have paid $9,000 for a wedding band or singer or something, but... Holy moly, that is a great deal for just the entertainment. Yes. And so Jim is just kind of doing what Jim does and is messing around in this situation where he obviously agrees with Pam that Here Comes Treble is not their wedding band, but is also just kind of being like, oh, I don't know, maybe we shouldn't rule it out. And so later on, Andy comes up to Jim and says, hey, I've been there before. I think that this is going in a bad direction. And he has a point here. Ish. Ish. He has a point. Ish. We know, is Pam a domineering person in their relationship? Absolutely not. She's basically the exact opposite i honestly don't know it is it's curious to me yes it's curious to me how things get done in that relationship because they are both so 
deferential. They're both very just, oh, well, I don't, I don't know. Right. Like if they were to paint a room, I don't know how that was going to happen. Yeah. Good point. And so, yes, Pam is obviously not the domineering person in the relationship, but we know that Andy is coming from a relationship where there was somebody that was very domineering in Angela. And so he is just looking out for a friend here, even though there is nothing to look out for. But he just is saying to Jim, hey, I've been there before. I know the signs. Maybe this isn't what you think it is. The problem with Andy's misplaced concern is the premise upon which it rests. Because Andy cannot imagine that no one would want an acapella group singing at their wedding. So well, yeah. That's the premise. Like, well, of course people would want that. Pam's being domineering because she doesn't want that. And so she's reminding me of Angela when Angela would knock down all my, you know, certain wedding ideas. Whereas Andy, like I said, that premise is just greatly false. And Pam makes a good point. Wow, that's a big chunk of money for an acapella band for a school we didn't even go to and that we have no connection to. And we, and on top of that, we have seen that Andy is just coming from a weird place in terms of relationship advice anyway. Yes. Remember when Kevin was trying to figure out whether or not to call the woman that he met from the Valentine's Day party and Andy was just like, no, you don't give her any power. You withhold everything and you wait to come for her to come to you. And even then, no affection whatsoever. And so Andy just has some relationship issues. Right. Angela really did a number on him in the sense that he didn't see it coming. He really didn't see it at all. He didn't see the problems in the relationship because he just wanted a relationship, it seemed like. So now he doesn't have any confidence in his own ability to you know, be discerning about intentions or relationships in general. So Jim says, you know, after this initial conversation with Andy, where he's, where Andy just tells Jim that he's going down this dark path and you know, he's very concerned for him, that Jim decides that he's going to take the day that this is a pressing thing that's come up and he's really going to play this prank on Andy. Now, I'm of two minds here because Andy's speech, if you will, about concern was just crazy over the top. Like, he thinks he's being a pal here, but he's more just again, being over the top, and that's just not something you say to someone about their relationship. But I'm sort of conflicted on Jim's prank. How so? Well, the way it plays out is Jim's response to Andy is that, you know, Pam really gets me through the day. I rely on her. I'm very emotionally needy. And so that's what Jim very much leans into throughout the whole day. The funniest scene to me being the one at lunch where 
Jim kind of acts like he's having a tough time and he doesn't like what he sees in the mirror and he's very frustrated and he ends up like drop kicking his lunch and stomping on it, which is kind of unfortunate because it seems like that'd be his lunch for the day. I mean, it was just a basic ham and cheese sandwich, so <laughs> he's not really losing out. <laughs> so he can eat that all stomped up. Well, he can go get a ham and cheese sandwich from somewhere else, so. Right, I guess that's true. And Andy's just you know, gravely concerned. Later in the day, Jim's crying on his shoulder, and Jim gets him to make this speech to the rest of the office. Like, I don't know what you did to him, if you gave him a look, if you made a comment, but you need to be nicer to him. And that's where Jim's standing in the kitchen, you know, watching this with just a smile on his face. Another office-related meme. Yes. Because he's looking through the blinds. Yeah. And, the ult- and Jim's ultimate point was sort of like, butt out. Pam and I are fine, but also I see that you're hurting and you will find a relationship someday. But you don't have to be afraid. But why couldn't he just say that? Like, why did he have to sort of play this prank on him? I mean, it's just because Jim is Jim and yeah. that's what he does. It sort of goes back to a conversation we had back in maybe season one or two of, is Jim cruel? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, based off the pranks he plays on Dwight, this was a really long, twisted, winding way to get to this ultimate point to Andy of, you are hurting, I see that, but... I trust that you're going to find a relationship someday. Let's let's talk about that a second. Because I think that does a disservice to single people. Just the platitude of, oh, you're going to be fine and you're going to find a relationship someday? Yeah. I think you have an issue with this overall. I, Just I in do. our personal life. Yeah. We, this is something that comes up somewhat often. And I don't know. I think it's sometimes you just, you you automatically think that this person is brushing you off. It's just like, okay, I'm done here. I'm done hearing about this. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be okay. And not that the person genuinely means that. It's It's this phenomenon called dismissive positivity where... Andy, like we said, is really hurting. And I and it's not like he went to Jim and said, I hate being single. I'm struggling. Although we have heard Andy say that around the Valentine's Day episode. But that happens to single people and particularly like single people of a certain age, I would say, of I don't like being single. I'm trying to get out there. You know, dating's a bummer sometimes. and it, And it's just this like, Oh, it'll happen when you least expect it. You just got to put yourself out there. You need to get on some dating apps. Like, there's this thought that if you, if someone's going through something, whatever it is, whether they don't like being single, whether whether they're struggling with their job, like in, in whatever respect, like if you just kind of like get the person to buck up a little bit and look on the bright side and put themselves out there like it's going to be fine whereas sometimes that does feel more dismissive than helpful 
And I don't know if it's because people sometimes are fixers and they want to have an easy solution or they don't know what to say. And it's like, it's going to work out. It's going to work out. But the reality is, and this is what I think gets glossed over. The reality is for some people, it doesn't. For some people, it just doesn't work out. Yeah, but you're never going to say that. You're never going to say, oh, well, you know, <laughs> I guess sucks to suck sometimes, you know, because and, I, and to, to go back to your point of that it's dismissive. I think that it's a very fine line though, because if let's say you take that next step and you're just like, okay, well let's, let's get you into this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Now you're being intrusive. Now you're kind of injecting yourself into a situation that you really can't help that much with. Right. It is a very tough line to walk as the person, as the listener. Yeah, and so I think there is just that sweet spot of, you know, okay, well, what are you looking for and where do you think you are struggling that, like, you have to get into. And like I said, it is a, like, it is a very, very narrow lane to get into because you either, on one side, you are potentially being dismissive and the other side you're being intrusive it is it is very tough it's tough especially when it comes to someone's personal life the their their literal day-to-day personal life of relationship family those type of things because that person is living with it and they're just you know looking for an outlet perhaps yeah. and it's it is tough but yeah, I just think sometimes uh, single people are just, they're told just like, go to a bar and like that's going to solve it. Yeah, but, you know, kind of as I was saying, like there's, there is almost next to nothing that a third party can do in this situation. Like as a friend, you can't go on dates for somebody. You can't. Right, or fix their approach. Yeah, exactly. Like, you can't, you can't do anything. So, basically, all you're left with is, well, keep at it. Yeah. It, it, you could just be sincere about it, but there's, there's really not a whole lot to do. Yeah, it's a tough... It's tough on both sides. If you're the... Obviously, if you're the person seeking a relationship and it's not working out... Or if you're the support person for someone that you you just really want it to work out for this person and it and it's not. Yeah. So that was it for our episode. <laughs> so let's go to the annex with Antoinette and find out any fun facts about the episode. So the only fun facts about the episode have to do with NBC was really on its website game for this season. If you remember, there was a wedding website for Andy and Angela and after this episode aired you could go to listen to the entire you can call me Al song the acapella version by Andy and here comes trouble and you could also you know fake purchase here comes trouble for the nine thousand dollars this episode was pretty well received and pretty well enjoyed by critics who uh, very much liked the master versus apprentice storyline between Michael and Dwight. 
back to the website part there was this was just all this was a weird time for the internet yeah because everybody felt like they had to have a website and everybody felt like their website was going to be the place that people went for entertainment yeah so like i i mean i understand why like certain food brands need a website to some extent but like why would i ever go to mms.com or why would i ever go to dundermifflin.com like i wouldn't i just wouldn't do that there is no reason for me to do that and so now i like it is seemingly like i only go to websites now for like information right this is a time so this was what 2008 so this was a time when facebook was really opening up to more than just college students more and more people were getting on so it seemed like like you said everyone was in competing to say like oh we have a game on our website or this is where you come for entertainment and things like farmville and bumper stickers and things like that like through facebook but also just candy crush those were getting to their height Words with friends was maybe a couple years off here. Yeah. Um but just yeah, like weird internet entertainment games. Curtis, who got fired this episode? We lose Dwight and I think this is kind of evidence of something that you mentioned earlier where with Charles running the show, he is going to reward the people who have a large contribution to the company. But that also comes with maybe a little bit of leeway because Dwight should absolutely get fired for sharing company information with Michael. And for the sake of our show, he does. But like you said earlier, Charles is mostly pretty cool with what's going on, which is very surprising. It is Dwight's 11th firing of the season. It's his 22nd overall. Antoinette, what is your Dundee for this episode? My Dundee is the Ankle Breaker Award, and it goes to Dwight when he is rushing in to HarperCollins' office to break up the meeting between Michael and Mr. Schofield. Mr. Schofield has an administrative assistant sitting right outside his office she is still sitting in her chair she has not at all blocked Dwight's path into Mr. Schofield's office in any way shape or form but as soon as he gets close he automatically does like a double-footed spin move says spin move and then barges into the office and it is hilarious it is something that my friends I helped out with the men's club volleyball team in college it is something that someone did at least once a practice right ever after that episode came out what is your Dundee in keeping with the theme of spin the spin zone award goes to Michael in this meeting when he is really trying to talk up the Michael Scott paper company he says that Dunder Mifflin is dying and his evidence is that they have closed two branches in the last year and 
the Michael Scott Paper Company has opened a branch in the past month, <laughs> which, of course, is the only branch. And so I guess that's one way to look at it. Also, Michael has a very loose grasp of how the economy works, as we know, <laughs> yeah. because also in trying to sell this, he says that in this economy, the bloated companies like Dunder Mifflin are going to be the ones that die off and small companies like the Michael Scott Paper Company are going to thrive, which absolutely is not what, not what happened, is not what is happening, and is not what happens. Right, exactly. Who is your employee of the month? I am going to go, I think I'm going to go with Phyllis here. And the reason for that is she pops up a couple times to just make astute uh, observations, basically. Um, and that's her that's her purpose for this episode. It like yeah, you could say Michael, you could say Dwight, um, but I'm gonna go with a dark horse here. Who is your employee of the month? I'm going with Michael. He stole. Dwight's biggest client, so he wins the war of this episode, if you will. But also, like we said, we do get the chance to see his sales acumen here and just him kind of buttering up his clients with their personal information and just checking in on, you know, how uh, some client's son's JV hockey team is doing, you know, just stuff like that. And, you know, impressing even the most cynical people in Ryan. So I'll go with Michael. That does it for this week's episode. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Downsizing Pod to get all the latest updates. And be sure to keep listening to us on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you were listening to us. Be sure to rate, subscribe, like, and comment wherever you can in order to keep getting our name out there. We appreciate you guys listening, and we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.